0: people start hiding them. The hearing tube is hidden in your sleeves. Women cover their ear trumpets in ribbons and lace uh, because it's something people start to feel ashamed of.
1: Ear trumpets, if you can picture one, are seen as old fashioned, ridiculous, and clumsy. In popular culture, they're used for comic effect, as a kind of snarky shorthand for how decrepit and out of touch a person is. However, these negative associations and stigmas weren't always there. Invented during the Enlightenment, the ear trumpet became incredibly popular. It was a tool that allowed for increased social participation and for easier exchange of ideas in bustling coffee shops and rowdy salons. But over time, with changing attitudes and improving technology, the trend became to hide away any hearing devices, making them smaller and more discreet. Welcome to Patented, a podcast about the history of inventions from History Hit. I'm your host, Dallas Campbell, and today I am joined by ear trumpet expert Dr. Ruben Verwal. He's going to explain to us how the popularity and stigma of the ear trumpet tracks with attitudes towards deafness and where our mocking of the ear trumpet came from. Let's get going. Welcome to the show, Ruben Verwal. Thank you. Ruben is holding up an ear trumpet. So if you don't know what an ear trumpet looks like, and obviously this is a podcast, you can't see it. Ruben, describe what is in your hand, because it is a kind of preposterous looking thing. I don't mean that in a pejorative, (laughs) rude way. I mean, it's just such an odd thing. Mm -hmm. No, the ear trumpet is a
0: a fantastic instrument. It's, well, basically it's a tube and it's a tube, but it has a um, a large uh, bell end and it tapers down slowly to a very narrow orifice at the top, which you can insert into your ear. And so what it does is rather than, you know, shouting through a trumpet outwards, the trumpet artificially collects all the sound waves here at the large end. And then it more efficiently directs them to the orifice into your ear so that actually, when you are using it, some of the sound is amplified
1: you know, it's a pretty simple invention in the history of inventions, when we think about the internal combustion engine or something, or human flight. I mean, the ear trumpet is it's kind of basically just like putting your hands behind your ears in order to try and catch as much sound as you can. Yeah, the
0: cupped hand behind your ear, that's actually the oldest ear trumpet, if you will, which is, you know, as long as humans have been around, we've had, you know, the more natural ear trumpet as the cupped hand. And if you do that, I think it's amplifies by five to 10
1: decibels. Actually, that's interesting, because presumably, we'll get on to whoever invented the ear trump in a minute. There must be a bit of, well, what we call biomimicry, this sort of design algorithm where we take things from nature, whatever it is, might be materials, or we look at nature's design algorithms, and then we apply them to our own sorts of things. So if you think about animals with kind of big ears that stick up which look a bit like ear trumpets like I don't know foxes or predators of some kind. Presumably is that where the idea comes from? Someone said why are our ears stupidly on the side of our head? If they're on the front of our head and we're a lot bigger, we hear a lot better.
0: No you're absolutely right. I mean the first inventors of ear trumpets in the Renaissance, so let's say late 16th century Italy, They were, like you said, inspired by nature. So they researched the ears of cows, of donkeys, of hares, and they said they have much larger ears. Uh, Some of these animals can direct their ears to different sides as well. Mm. And hence, they have a much better hearing than we do. And that's opposed to other animals like fish. They don't have any external ears, and hence they must be deaf.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the sort of acoustics first. So what are these things made of? When were they? You said the 16th century, is that right? Early 16th century. This is when they started to become popular? Yeah, so, I mean, they may have been around,
0: but the first, you know, scientific descriptions of ear trumpets, they come from the late 16th century, early 17th century. And these ear trumpets were made... In a variety of materials. I mean, some of them were from natural animal horn or you know natural shell, but you can also make ear trumpets using woods, glass, metals like brass, tin, and silver. And depending on the materials you use, the uh, instrument will resonate at certain frequencies, which will also help to amplify some of the sound.
1: Did these sort of innovators who were developing these ear trumpets? Did they not kind of settle on what the best material is? Did they not go well? Actually. You know, metal is a bit tinny, actually bones really good.
0: Well, animal horn is a very easy to get. I mean, if you just have an animal and then you can get their horn, uh, boil it for a few days and empty it, and then you have a very easy hand animal horn. But metal is, of course, also something you can change the design of. So for a long time, throughout the 17th centuries, the different scientists did not agree about the actual shape it can have a, you know, as a long tube, like a trumpet, but some of them would design the ear trumpet in a spiral form saying that it was more effective, more efficient to capture the
1: acoustics. So people were looking at the, I mean, you can imagine why a spiral thing might work. I mean, given that the inner ear is kind of spiral shaped. Yeah, like a, the cochlea, they are a
0: spiral. The cochlea, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah, so the spiral-like shape has a, a number of advantages. So the sound waves, will be reflected a lot inside the ear trumpet. And the other added benefit is that you can have the longest tube in the smallest amount of space.
1: Do we have a name? You know, when we think about famous inventions, even history of invention is always messy and much more convoluted than we think. But is there someone that we can sort of pin the ear trumpet on? Like who is the the greatest proponent or perhaps the innovator of the ear trumpet?
0: I've got two names for you. They're both from the school of our famous Galileo. Well, we love Galileo. And Galileo had students, of course. And one of them was Giovanni Battista della Porta. And another student was Paolo Aproino, if I pronounce your names correctly. But it's a bit unsure. But Aproino is probably the first to have invented the ear trumpet, and Della Porta is the first to have written about the ear trumpet.
1: Well, that's really interesting. Actually, when you mentioned Galileo, and obviously that time was the time of the great scientific revolution. And of course, when we think of Galileo, we think about lenses, and we think about telescopes, and we think about bringing light closer to us. Is the ear trumpet kind of analogous of the telescope, I suppose? Did someone say, well, hang on, if we can build a telescope and bring things closer to us, can we bring sound closer to us was that the sort of thinking yeah galileo is
0: indeed famous for the using the telescope to look at the moon and bringing the moon and the stars closer and students of galileo they wanted to see whether they could indeed make an instrument analogous to the telescope but then to bring the sound closer literally they said so it's they don't talk in terms of frequency and amplification but in terms of bringing the sound closer. And that's what they did. And that's why for a long time, the ear trumpet has a similar shape, like a long tube as the telescope. And it's also one of the reasons why later on in the 17th century, Robert Hooke actually makes an ear trumpet of glass to again, imitate the telescope.
1: Ah, that's interesting. So, in a way, it was kind of imitating the great telescope, which was this radical technology. It's like, well, here we go. Look at this as a comparison. And the ear trumpet was not called ear trumpet. They
0: usually talked about ear spectacles, which again underscores, you know, that they are imitating telescopes.
1: Yeah, and I want to talk all about because there's all kinds of sort of social and psychological things that we can talk about with ear trumpets and our associations with it and what it means. I want to talk about deafness, though, obviously, because when we think well, not that we think about ear trumpets, I guess, that much, because they've kind of been relegated to a thing of the past. But how do they, they weren't designed for people who were deaf, were they? They were designed very much as an instrument to bring sound closer. So when did they sort of relate to people's hearing as a sort of medical instrument?
0: So the ear trumpet in throughout the 17th century is really related to natural philosophy, research into sound, acoustics, and harmony. And then in the late 17th century, we have uh, physicians discovering the ear trumpet, as it were. You know, I mean, the ear trumpet was already around, but then a few physicians like the Dutch professor Anton Nuck. He said, "Wait a minute, we can actually use this as a hearing aid." And so he designed for a patient in Leiden, uh, an ear trumpet in the spiral form to be used to help with conversation. And so it's from this time onwards, actually there were already a few people around throughout the 17th century who had empirically made ear trumpets for their own use, but it really you know, becomes a very popular instrument in the 18th century for many hard of hearing people.
1: Just to explain, maybe what, what, what was the attitude towards sort of deafness in those times in the sort of seventeenth and eighteenth century? Was it seen as something to be cured, or was it seen as just well that's just what happens when you get older? What was the sort of attitude towards that?
0: Well, it's uh, it's shifting in this period. So before uh, there could be a lot of uh, ignorance and bigotry towards people who are deaf, especially if you were born deaf, because if you were born deaf, you are also not able to speak because you cannot hear. And so they were called the deaf and dumb, which doesn't mean they're stupid, but it means, you know, they're mute, they cannot speak. But at the same time, the connotation of dumb is directly there. Um, So there were many people having a very hard time. There was no formal education for the deaf. Uh, in some cases, deaf people could not get married because they could not say yes to the question, do you take your this husband or, or this woman, this man, you know, as your husband or wife? Um, so there were legal obstructions. Also in religion, deaf people could have difficult experiences because, you know, you need to hear the message, as it were. And so if you are deaf, there's no salvation for you because you cannot hear about Jesus and But it's shifting in the course of the 17th century because in practice, of course, when you have a baby and it turns out to be deaf, of course, you're going to take care of your kid. And so somehow many people in the streets, they they find ways for them to make them useful, to have them work. They bring them to church despite any worries. And then people start creating sign language in the course of the 17th century. And you see these hearing aids like ear trumpets being introduced as well. So whenever deafness is of a permanent kind, and you cannot really do about it, especially if it's deafness by old age, which was, of course, very common, just as common as today, really, then the ear trumpet could potentially be a a solution.
1: You know, as we sort of move into the Enlightenment, I suppose, who would be using ear trumpets? Because it's not like we see pictures of Everyone walking around with ear trumpets, like we'd see everyone wandering around with spectacles now. We don't think about it. There is nothing discreet (laughs) about an ear trumpet. So I'm just wondering what their sort of place in the sort of social world of the Enlightenment and beyond is. I've been going
0: through all kinds of archives and libraries, searching for these people using ear trumpets. And I found that most of them were actually very well off. They were part of the elite.
1: So they weren't seen as a kind of social stigma or anything? If you had an ear trumpet... No. ...might be sort of decorated or Mm -hmm. ornate or... Yeah,
0: well, maybe um, a very good example is Elizabeth Vasey. And she is an Irish slash English lady and also very prominent hostess of salon parties. And so she invited intellectuals, politicians, writers, poets, you name them, to convene together in her house Talk about books and literature and politics. And of course, in those kind of meetings and parties, you need to have a good hearing. But of course, she turned hard of hearing in old age. And she was very sad, had a lot of sorrow in terms of those days, felt a real melancholy. But then uh, her friend suggested, why don't you use an ear trumpet? And so at some point she starts using them and she doesn't just have one ear trumpet. No, it's said that she had two or three ear trumpets hanging to her wrists and slung around her neck like a necklace to always have it at hand and use it whenever necessary. So she accessorized it and
1: used it as bracelets and necklaces. So it's a kind of, in a way, it's a tool for the the elite. It's the the elites perhaps who could afford this rather ostentatious thing as a way of, presumably it also signified the importance of me, I need to hear your ideas. And presumably as well, if you held an ear trumpet to your ear. That in itself is a signifier that you must now say something important. Yes, it demands of
0: you to, as interlocutor, to say something interesting. It directs your voice. I mean, we see this happening with another socialite, Sir Joshua Reynolds, who is a famous painter in the 18th century. He makes a lot of portraits. He becomes the president of the Royal Academy of Arts, makes exhibitions for the king. Uh, but already at relatively young age, when he was 25, I think, he was in Rome in the Vatican to copy pictures of great artists, but he got a chill and lost some of his hearing. And ever since he used an ear trumpet. His invention or innovation, I should say, was that he used the ear trumpet to be designed with the opening at an angle rather than straight. Because if it's straight, you need to like look away to direct your ear trumpet to your interlocutor. But if it's at an angle, you can just keep your face straight and look at them and, and their lips while also using the ear trumpet. And it signifies how others should direct their voice to you know, speak towards the, the opening of the ear trumpet and indeed say something interesting.
1: Say we're at a point in society where the ear trumpet means something, you know, quite elitist in a way. Am I right in thinking you wouldn't see ordinary people wandering down the street just walking into a shop with an ear trumpet? There seems to be an eccentricity about it. People with ideas, people who think in ideas, people who want to talk, people running salons, for example, might have ear trumpets because this is where the important stuff is discussed. But everyday people wouldn't have ear trumpets. The Elizabeth Fazies,
0: the Joshua Reynolds' speaking and hearing was part of their profession, it was their work. So they really needed something to help support conversation and indeed they could afford such a thing. I mean, in the old Bailey records, I found that silver ear trumpets were stolen and that some people were arrested, which signifies that the ear trumpet was of great value and hence quite expensive to buy.
1: What does the ear trumpet say about attitudes to deafness, though? I mean, presumably if you're wearing ear trumpet, it means you're sort of saying deafness is bad and we need to cure it. And I think about, you know, was it used for people listening to music, for example? I mean, you know, we obviously think about people like Beethoven and composers and would he have had an ear trumpet to help him along, do you think?
0: Yeah, well, that very much depends on the kind of hearing loss you have and you experience. I mean, some people have hearing loss, which means they don't hear high frequencies other people don't hear low frequencies, or it can be a variation of the two. So there are many different types of hearing loss and it really depends whether the ear trumpet is really beneficial to you. So some people may be able to afford the ear trumpet, but find it's not very practical in everyday life. Other people who might have found it useful, but actually could not afford one. Sir Joshua Reynolds, he was allowed. When he went to the theatre, he was allowed to sit in the middle of the orchestra. Uh, He did not need to sit, you know, amongst the audience, but he could sit right in between.
1: (laughs) That's very civilised. But I kind of wonder, you know, like when you go to the theatre, I don't know if you still, you know, you get opera glasses so you can bring the action a little bit closer to you. Did anyone come up with the idea of having little kind of miniature ear trumpets that you put 10p in and get your ear trumpets and you can hear a bit better? That never took off, I'm guessing. Mm, I don't think so.
0: But actually, the entire theatre is a ear trumpet. It's designed architecturally in such a way to most efficiently force the music towards the audience. So it's already a, a huge ear trumpet by itself. And actually, Beethoven, it is speculated that he built those kind of huge domes on top of his... Piano and other instruments to make sure that all the sound waves were directed towards him and directly to his ears.
1: That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose we do now, like when we go into museums, perhaps now, or when we go, you know, you wear headphones and you get commentary. And in a way, it's, it's not like an ear trumpet, but our sort of attitude towards hearing is completely shifted. I'm going to talk about that in a minute.
0: But I think it's,
1: I think it's important to make
0: um, about these 18th century ear trumpet users. The ear trumpet is a huge instrument and everybody sees, but at the same time, I don't really think there was such a big stigma on it at those days because deafness was relatively common at the time. And using the ear trumpets makes your deafness visible. What happens is that for many, it makes them actually overcome any type of shame or embarrassment. And actually, because they ne- did not need to explain people, like they did not need to say... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm asking, but I'm sorry because I'm deaf. No, because everybody already knows you're deaf because you are using the ear trumpet.
1: But nowadays, you know, when we think about hearing aids, it's all about making them invisible so you can't see them, and we mustn't have, you mustn't be able to see your hearing aid. And the old sort of NHS hearing aids of the 1970s, which are kind of big cables and boxes and stuff, became a sort of bit of a joke. So our our attitude, presumably, towards deafness has completely shifted, whereas spectacles, for example, you know, spectacles are part of fashion and we all, you know, people like to wear spectacles. I suppose, where did that sort of stigma towards deafness come? Did it decline of the ear trumpet? I don't know when the decline of the ear trumpet was, but is there a sort of, did those two things sort of coincide, do you think? I think it happens in the course
0: of the 19th century, so in the Victorian age, because it's both the heyday of the ear trumpet, because it becomes more affordable for many people to use, but as it becomes more and more common and less of a, you know, accessory, uh, the stigma increases, and you see this reflected in many different types of caricatures. So it's funny, very funny to make jokes about people having misinterpretations. And then it's visually illustrated with ear trumpets. But in the 19th century, you see endless new innovations in ear trumpet design. The telescopic ear trumpet, which you can make longer and shorter. There's the London Dome ear
1: trumpet, which is the London Dome ear trumpet.
0: Like it says, a dome. And then within the dome, it spirals around a few times. So it's it's quite big, but it can also be very efficient and small. There are miniature trumpets, the ones that are stuck in your ears like earbuds and you don't see them. Ear cornets, which is the double ear trumpet attached to each other with a headband.
1: Yeah, oh, I think I've seen those. And they sort of point outwards.
0: Yeah, they point outwards. The banjo type ear trumpet, which trumpet looks like a banjo. The conversation tube or the hearing tube, which is a very long, uh, flexible tube, which is beneficial because it's longer. But then at the same time, people start hiding them. The hearing tube is hidden in your sleeves. The ear trumpet is hidden in a walking cane. Or uh, women cover their ear trumpets in ribbons and lace and other flower decorations. Because it's something
1: when people start to feel ashamed of. Why did that shame come in? Because like you say, things like walking sticks and other kind of medical devices, they're always almost things that are celebrated in a way. So I'm interested in why the ear trumpet, because deafness is obviously very common, why that suddenly having gone from being very ornate and having lots of ideas and lots of innovation and craft suddenly kind of became a parody. Like when I think about ear trumpets, I think of cartoons. You know, I remember in the Beano when I was a kid, I remember the teacher in the Bash Street kids had an ear trumpet. It was a kind of a symbol of fun and ridicule. You see that in the course of the 19th century,
0: you see new disciplines of audiology. And so what happens is that more and more hearing differences are being medicalized. So surgeons and physicians start studying deafness and different types of hearing loss and are searching actively for ways to cure deafness and hearing becomes the norm. So before in the pre-modern age, where we were talking about before with uh, Della Porta, deaf at old age was seen as something normal, something natural that happens to everyone at some point. Whereas in the 19th century, good hearing becomes a norm and you should always reach for the best kind of hearing. And you see this reflected in multiple ways. Ear trumpets are being made invisible or camouflaged so that you can present yourself as if you have good hearing, even though you don't. We see that also in deaf education. I mean, many deaf schools at first were uh, teaching in sign language, but then in the late 19th century, educators decided no hearing is the norm so we're only going to teach deaf kids to uh, speech read or lip read and to you know make noises to make sounds to have a voice rather than using sign language and so you see that this this shift happening again in the way deafness in general is perceived and that hearing is the norm.
1: So suddenly deafness is something that needs to be cured and presumably with the advent of electronics for example like when was the first hearing aids. Was there a kind of moment where the ear trumpet stopped and the first hearing aid or the electronic hearing aid, presumably sometime in the 20th century in the 1950s or something?
0: Yeah, in the 20th century, we have uh, electronic uh, hearing aids. And they work very differently. They work with a microphone, and then the sound is electronically amplified. But it doesn't necessarily mean the end of the ear trumpets. Because I've seen ear trumpets used until the late 20th century, well, not the late, but certainly, you know, up until the 60s and 70s, which on the one hand is fascinating, but there was also some practical uses for
1: ear trumpet-like devices. For example, in the military. Yeah, there's big concrete palabras they'd have on the sort of coast. They could hear enemy aircraft. Yeah, so in the military, before radar, you need to have a way to detect incoming airplanes. And so
0: these huge, enormous ear trumpets could be used to, yeah, to detect the sound of air coming airplanes. So the use of electronic hearing aids and the more mechanical acoustic hearing aids, they overlap. But of course, as time went on, I mean, of course, you don't see them anymore today.
1: No. Well, that's it. It's, I, I can imagine and see how they would have been a fashion accessory in, in the Victorian times. And then our attitudes towards deafness and hearing changes, and they change as a result. It's interesting, though, We're thinking about, look, here I am wearing a pair of big headphones now. And just in my, in the last sort of 20 years, headphones, for example, were really small and they went in your ear. And now the sort of fashion for headphones to get bigger and bigger and bigger.
0: It appears to be the new fashion trend. And I really hope it sets off that also hearing aids are not something to be hidden, but something to be celebrated, just like eye fashion. I hope you get to see ear fashion.
1: I think about the Smiths, you know, I grew up listening to the Smiths in the kind of mid 80s. And, you know, Morrissey's whole thing was that he was wearing national health spectacles and he had a national health hearing aid coming from one ear. And that was his whole shtick. And we thought that was terribly good. So I can see how they've become fashionable.
0: While I'm researching, I often speak with deaf and hard of hearing experts. And uh, one of them, Case, he said like he has a cochlear implant. So that's the latest technology to uh, as a hearing aid to help you hear. And the cochlear implant is you can get it in different skin tones. So depending on what your skin is, you can those. So it's, again, designed to be hidden. But so he said like, but I don't want my cochlear implant to be hidden so he got some nail polish
1: and painted it blue (laughs) really so how does the cochlear implant work so it's on the outside of your head well there's a part on the inside and on the outside on the
0: outside there's the microphone and it attaches through a magnet and then on the inside there's a cochlear implant means there's an implant so there's a in the cochlea of your inner ear there's this implant to circumvent your eardrum and your middle ear and go straight to the nerves in the cochlea and so that's how the cochlea, I mean I'm not an ENT physician or anything, but uh, this is more or less how uh, the cochlear implant
1: works. Hey, I've just thought of something that's interesting as well. That just That's just occurred to me. I'm, again, I'm looking at myself on the screen here. You've got little in-ear earphones and I've got big earphones. And the whole sort of technology of headphones now, it's not about making sound. Well, it is about making sound better, sort of recorded sound better, but it's also about sound noise cancelling. You know, I've got noise cancelling headphones and the whole sort of technology is like, okay, we don't want to hear it. We want to get rid of noise. We want to stop noise coming in. We want to make it less. In a way, the sort of headphones now are about excluding the world from you as opposed to a an ear trumpet, which is about bringing the world to you, into your mind.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's it's fascinating to follow these hearing technologies develop over time. And again, as you mentioned, the earphones are now relatively big. You want to be seen wearing one, and it's, it's a fashion statement. And so hopefully this will translate to hearing aids as well, where you can have the most extravagant hearing aids you want, to really showcase your, your personality, your character, and it's something to be, you know, be proud of and to start conversations about rather than something to be ashamed of and to hide away.
1: Do you think the ear trumpet, because they are sort of beautiful objects, really, when you look at them, they are kind of rather wonderful. Do you think they might ever make a resurgence? Can you imagine a situation where the ear trumpet might sort of come back as a kind of fashion statement, perhaps? Or, or are they forever relegated to the past?
0: Well, they're certainly making a comeback now in my historical research. <laughs> I bought this replica.
1: So that one you're holding, it's a, it's a kind of, it's metal. Is it brass? Yeah, this is brass. So it's got a big wide end, just like a trumpet, but at an angle. And then it tapers off to a little orifice, as you say. I didn't say orifice because that might be construed as being rude.
0: Hey, it's this is science talk. So, you know. We, yeah, it is. So we know. can say orifice. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So this is a replica I bought online somewhere. And uh, people can do so as well. Just Google Ear Trumpet
1: and you can get your own. I'm totally getting one. I'm totally going to get one.
0: And so I take this with me whenever I give a talk or something and people love it. They want to try to use it. They have to you know, clean the orifice of its earwax, but otherwise it's safe to use. And it works. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not. of course, it's not as good as modern hearing aids, but it's fantastic to experiment with. And I would love, I don't know, secondary school kids to do a science project comparing the different types of ear trumpets, the ones made of wood, glass, brass, or horn, and compare them and see which one works best, for which frequencies, you know, that would be fascinating.
1: If any kids are listening to this, and you're looking for a science project, there you go, ear trumpets. Well, it's a fascinating invention, it taps into all kinds of other things as well, human concerns about our preconceptions with deafness and sight and medical usage as well. So really, really interesting. Ruben, thank you so much for for bringing it along and, and talking to us about it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe to the show as I'm sure you have done already, but please do that as I'm going to be back every Wednesday and Sunday with brand new episodes. Don't forget, if you've got an invention that you want me to tell the story of or investigate, get in touch with me on Twitter or stop me in the street, however you want to get in touch with me. Coming up next, we've got episodes on the origins of the treadmill as a Victorian torture device, of course, and also the mysterious story of Louis Le Prince. Have you heard of him? No? Well, actually, he was the forgotten inventor of the movie camera. I will see you next time. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive